Welcome to another episode of Campus Life, continuing our conference preview series here at Campus to Canton. As always, I am Austin. And this is Colin. Colin, we spent the whole weekend together. We we hardly even argued. We had a good time uh, at the uh, Fantasy Football Expo in Canton. So uh, the, some of the Campus to Canton crew was there, uh, met some uh, people that we've we've interacted with before. And uh, overall, it was a good trip. I think the highlight of the trip was that we introduced Jarek, our our lead data guy here at Campus Canton, to Sheets. For anybody who's yes. ever been to mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Virginia area, um, like our kind of premium-ish like gas station slash convenience store type place. I, I don't know how to describe it. I feel like every area kind of has one of those, but that's ours. Yeah. Great mm-hmm. fried food. So that's yes. that's really what we introduced Jarek to. And he... Uh, uh, he was he was blown away. I could tell he was. Yeah, um, it's and for anybody else who's from PA and, you know, the Sheets versus Wawa debate, Wawa subs, Sheets, fried food. I think they're different so that you can like them both. And I do like them both. I'm a I, big I like Sheets. So here, here's always my thing in that debate, Colin. I don't I have literally never in my entire life been like I'm going to go to a gas station to get a sub. So I don't understand like what the whole like, oh, like, Wawa's got great, great subs. I'm going to go over there. Well, what do they so call them? Hoagies over in Eastern PA? Is that what they call them? Yeah, Hoagies. Um, yeah, but so not all Wawa's are gas stations. There are some Wawa's that are just freestanding. Like it's like a convenience store with kind of like a 7-Eleven sort of a deal. Okay. Um, so... It is gas station food, but it's not gas station food. Like the subs from Wawa are on par with like your normal subs, like you would get from like uh, Jersey Mike's or something like that. I'll take your word for it. You should I, I hit up Hoagie Fest next time. Actually, I don't think Wawa's out that far. No, they're not out near me at all. No, yeah, I think no. Yeah, I think the furthest one that we, I we would chase seen. them out of town with like pitchforks and stuff if they showed up here. <laughs> They're not welcome here. I think the furthest one is actually like Harrisburg, so it's like not that far. I'm not driving the whole way to Harrisburg for a sub. No, I mean not that far west. Like they don't cover that much territory. Yeah. yeah. I actually, if I'm gonna get a sub and I want like a good sub, I'm going to like a pizza place. Um, I would have, I have to know the pizza place. I'm not just going to walk into a random pizza place and get a sub there, but I get what you're saying. Pete, there are pizza places that have good subs. I don't, uh, do you never like walk into random places? Yeah. I know no. you, your, your, your tastes are not super expansive. You don't, <laughs> you don't strike me as like a super, um, like kind of. Ex- willing to experiment like and try new things kind of guy really calling is that is that accurate here well i don't usually just like walk into a restaurant and i'm like oh let me just go to this place you know what i mean like if i'm going to a restaurant to get something it's like planned i'm like let me try this new place that just opened up or i'm gonna go over here to this place that we drove by like six times and now i want to go in like it's like a planned trip you're such a millennial. And I, and I just like don't plan to stop at a random Italian pizza shop. Like if I'm going to stop at a place, it's going to be like the new Trinidadian place that opened up down the street, you know? 
Something have you been to a Trin- Have you been to the Trinidadian place down the street, Colin? I have. Yes. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. I don't think I've ever had. It's very that, that it, it, it's it's cultural. Caribbean. Yeah, it's like Caribbean. It's it's from. I mean, I the, the Caribbean food that I have had is Trinidadian food and Jamaican food, and it, I, I've they, only ever had Jamaican similar. food. Really? Yeah, I, they're I similar. I don't know. There aren't a lot of those kind of restaurants in Pittsburgh. I'm not going to lie. That's kind of a, we, we have a lot of like, like a lot of Asian food, uh, quite honestly. So uh, that's kind of our big cultural thing here. We don't have great barbecue here either, which is really the, mm. the big annoying thing. Cause I, I, you know, I'd probably, I'd probably sell my mom out for, for some really <laughs> good barbecue or so. When uh, I, I, Wish I lived for closer to the south so I could go get good barbecue all the time. That's fair. Um, there's not really that great barbecue around here either. So like I can't even really comment that much on it, to be honest. Yeah, just a bummer. All right. Yeah. Well, that's uh, enough with that. Um, conference previews. Tonight we're talking the SEC East. Um, we, we always split this conference into two because otherwise um, you thought the Pac-12 episode was long last week. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> We'd uh, we'd be talking for forever. I think we might have done that the first year. We might have combined them the first year and been like, okay, that was that was a really bad idea. Never again. Um, we have been starting these off with an interview with a new content creator in the college space. Um, but our person tonight backed out a little while ago, and I forgot about it, and I never scheduled somebody else. So yeah, and we were at the expo this weekend, and you know. So moral of the story, uh, Colin dropped the ball. We don't have a person yeah. here. Yep. Uh, so we're just going to go right uh, into talking about uh, the SEC East. And as we have done in the other episodes, we're going alphabetical order. So we are starting with Florida. It feels weird that a school like that late in the alphabet uh, starts it off. But some of these conferences have just such weird alphabetical alignments. Well, the other half of this conference has Alabama, Arkansas, and Auburn in it. So it's going to take yeah. us forever to get to like G. But yeah. uh, in this one, we're, we're starting right here uh, with, with Florida at F. Um, so uh, C2C winning edge for anybody who hasn't checked out all the winning edge content yet over at Campus to Canton. Highly recommend you do so. Uh, he just uh, released his win totals. Uh, Nick did a uh, spreadsheet in our Discord. Um, that is uh, that section of the Discord accessible only for uh, subscribers to the Winning Edge, sixty uh, percent plus success rate over the past few years there. So, um, if you want to uh, lay some cash on some win totals for the year, uh, go ahead and do that. And I agree with his his uh, his pit win total. So, um, <laughs> so I, I will choose to to believe the rest then because I think you got that one right. Um, Florida, C2C winning edge, 30th overall in FBS on uh, team power ranking in terms of just pure talent on the roster, ninth in the SEC. So right there, it tells you how competitive the SEC is. Um, we see it all the time with recruiting rankings, with with you know uh, things like this, that uh, pretty much all the SEC schools are in the top uh, 40 to 50 in the country. Um, just, just how it operates uh, down there in that conference. It just means more uh, in the SEC, I believe, is their, their saying. Yeah. Florida, Graham Mertz at quarterback. Um, I, I personally don't think Graham Mertz is startable right now. No. And there are a couple of reasons for that. You try really hard not to um, necessarily always let past performance dictate uh, future kind of opinion on some of these players, especially when they're switching 
from one school to another. And Mertz isn't a guy that like from a talent perspective, I've completely written off. I think the big problem is for me is that, well, A, yes, he, he has not been particularly good uh, over the past few years at Wisconsin. But I think more importantly, B, Billy Napier really does not seem to interested in adapting his offenses at all to what the specific strengths are of the quarterback that is there. Uh, as we saw last year. As we saw last year. So I I don't know that he's necessarily going to be putting Mertz in a position where he should be super successful. I think the offensive line loses a couple of pieces that uh, to the to draft, uh, specifically um, uh, Cyrus O'Torrance, who went in the second round. Um, and I, I believe they lost at least one other lineman. Um, and yeah, they have three coming back. They brought in one transfer. Okay, perfect. Um, and then uh, I, I don't think the weapons are very good. Uh, maybe they can be in a couple of years. You know, we have some, I think uh, as a group, we're a little lower on all the wide receivers that they brought in, except for maybe Eugene Wilson, um, Mizzle and Gene. I don't think we're, we're super high on, but uh, the point stands, you know, I, I just don't, I think this Florida team, even though they're, you know, ranked 30th in the country in terms of uh, power ranking. Uh, from like a talent perspective, I also think that a lot of the the quote unquote talent that they have on the roster is uh, either players that we have thought consistently thought are not to the quality of player that the recruiting services are, which factors into part of the talent equation, um, and uh, quite frankly have not developed uh, under either of the past couple of coaching staffs in a way that we thought could be possible as well. So moral of the story. I think Mertz is a flawed player. I think the system is going to be flawed as it relates to him. I think the surrounding cast is flawed. So overall, in like a 12 or even 14-team league, unless it's like even in that 12-team start three QB league, I don't think Graham Mertz got drafted, and I think that's probably correct Correct. overall. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I would take Napier in like one of the 2014 – or not Napier – Mertz. Mertz. I would take Mertz in like one of the 24 teamers that we're in just because he's a starting quarterback at a power five school. But I really wouldn't feel good about it. If I ever have to start Graham Mertz, like I'm probably just packing it in, even in a 24 team. Go outside and let your wife just hose you down because you feel gross after. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I I don't think that needs to be that much more said than that. I don't think we're interested in the backups here either, quite frankly. Um, I think. Florida's big push is that they have a uh, a top recruit coming in uh, next year, uh, whose name is completely escaping me DJ right now. DJ Lagway. Thank you, thank you, DJ Lagway. Who, as a player, is a guy that we actually, again, at C two C, are lower on than the recruiting consensus. I don't, I don't think we're particularly fond of him. He uh, did not do well at Elite Eleven, and he has a very, very raw player. So again, you know, developmental guy. What's Billy Napier going to do there? Uh, not entirely sure, but moral of the story, you know, Jack Miller. Um, I, I, I literally don't even know who the other quarterbacks are there. Like they're, they're very, you know, insignificant uh, players overall. So um, the Florida tried really hard to bring in another guy this year. It didn't really happen. So I, I, they're going to be, maybe they shouldn't there. have pushed uh, Marcus Stokes out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I think, not to touch on Stokes's specific situation for anybody not familiar with that story. Uh, do we need, do we want to get into that right now? He was rapping along to a rap song on like TikTok or our Instagram live mm-hmm. or something that contained the N word for anybody who knows Marcus Stokes. He's not black. And so yeah. he got a lot of pushback in Florida, like revoked his scholarship right away. But I think 
really, I think they use it as an excuse because they at yeah. the time had Jaden Rashada coming in and they, they wanted the scholarship. And so it was kind of really scummy, in my opinion. Uh, and Stokes, did, did he go to like D2 or something? Yeah, like, he's somewhere D2 because nobody else would touch him then. And it was pretty late in the process, too, I think, right? Yeah, and I don't know like how much of that is. Uh, I think it's a combination of him being released from that commitment to Florida. But also, he was awful as a senior in high school, like really, really bad. Um, like they would show the elite 11 always post that graphic every week of like how the quarterbacks from the class that participated in the in elite 11 were doing on a weekly basis. I don't believe Stokes ever crested 50, 50% completion percentage for the season. Wow. I think he was consistently below it. Just awful, awful season. And apparently no injury involved. So um, wow. I, I, probably a combination okay. of the two there. That, yeah. I didn't know he was um, that him. bad. Yes. He was terrible as a senior, <laughs> like legit. You probably could have tried to one of us out there and we wouldn't have, uh, been significantly worse so uh yeah um quarterback situation really really not great there at florida and uh, we do not predict it to to get too much better here in the not so distant future running back room though is not bad uh overall mm -hmm. i think we like at least one of the players here and i've, I've actually found myself drafting uh try on web a little bit as well uh but trevor Etienne is going to be uh the leader of that running back room overall i think he's the most talented um Oh, by by quite quite a decent margin he is travis's brother came in there last year uh really took him a little bit to kind of get acclimated to college football and part of it was as we discussed a lot last year he he came into college like you think of travis as like this kind of 185 lean you know in college or you know 200 ish pound lean guy um really kind of a slasher explosive um trevor Etienne like apparently ate all the food in the house growing up because he can't <laughs> he was carrying a ton of bad weight was not super explosive in high school um but they, they got his body right there colin you were probably the highest uh here at c2c on him and you ended up being correct how highly should we be taking trevor Etienne in drafts should we be acquiring him this offseason uh if there's an opportunity to do so yeah i mean i think um I would be acquiring him if the opportunity is right. But I think at this point, pretty much everybody's kind of caught up to ETN is, is good. Um, and he is like in that second tier of running backs in that class in the 2025 class. So I have him as my RB 17 in C2C. So realistically like i'd probably start looking at taking him you know in like the fourth fifth ish round somewhere in that ballpark but i just find that there's somebody else there at least in the you know in the two startups that i've done so far this year there's somebody else there that i prefer over etn so i haven't taken him in either of those startups um i i think that in terms of cff production it's going to be pretty split in that backfield. Like we always see with Billy Napier backfields, um, Billy Napier is leading rusher, um, the number one rusher in points per game. The best season he's ever had as a head coach was 2018, whereas RB one had 17 fantasy points per game. Other than that, it was 15.8, 13.8, 11.3, and then 12.6 last year. So he just utilizes a, a committee, multiple backs, uh, and I think that's more or less what we're going to see here this year because they also brought in um, Cam Carroll from 
Tulane, I believe. So they brought in another back to kind of fill in there too. And then they have Montreal Johnson, who we can touch on in a second. So you're not getting like a lot of CFF value from him. I do believe in him from a Debbie standpoint though, but in that range, I am still kind of looking for somebody who's going to give me something on the, on the CFF side. So I like uh, Trevor ETN. I like him more in a Debbie context, honestly. I do feel like his NFL upside is like slightly capped because I don't think he's an incredible athlete and you don't have to be at the running back position as we, as we know, but it definitely helps. I do think that he is uh, limited in the same way that Katron Allen is, who's in the same class. I, I don't know that I see huge, huge uh, upside out of either of those backs. I, I actually have those two basically in a little tier here uh, in my rankings, along with Ruben Owens, uh, Trey Benson's in there, and I kind of <laughs> feel the same way about him. Um, and, and Mayan Williams in that group as well. And I think... Um, you know, uh, not insane upside, but I, I like the players. I think they're they're good running backs, but not um, great by any stretch. Um, Montreal Johnson, I have been pretty vocally anti Montreal Johnson for the past two years. Um, I I think this is a mid to late day three back. I think he is not an overwhelmingly good athlete. I I. I I think he got exposed a little bit here in the SEC. Um, overall, I, I one of my bold prediction article that I do at the beginning of every uh, season, uh, which will be coming out here in the next uh, week and a half here uh, for this season, I wrote that Montreal Johnson would fall about 100 spots in ADP, and I think he fell about 100 spots, 80 to 90. Um, I, I just think he's actually the least talented back in this backfield between ETN and Trayon Webb. I actually think is more talented than him too. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Montreal Johnson did kind of get exposed in the SEC last year. I mean, he looked really good at Louisiana. I mean, I think he had like a 99-yard touchdown run, and I think he had like another 80-plus-yard touchdown run when he was at Louisiana. So I think that that kind of clouded the athletic perception of him. But there's a difference between doing that in the Sun Belt and doing it in the SEC. And he did show last year that he really wasn't able to do that in the SEC. I think he's a fine running back. I agree. I think he's like a, a late day three guy. You know, maybe he sneaks up into like the fifth round, but I think that's kind of his ceiling at this point. Um, you know, so he'll he'll make an NFL roster probably. He's fine. He's the type of guy that, you know, the starter in the NFL gets hurt and they put him in and he has like, you know, 20 carries for 90 yards and like a touchdown and then has like a couple of catches, you know, it's like a, a decent performance and that's kind of all he'll ever be. is just like a, an injury replacement kind of fill in type guy. If I don't have the time to go watch a back and I want to kind of figure out how um, like athleticism is more than just a 40 mm-hmm. or an avert. It's how your body kind of moves and adapts to different situations, how quickly it can adapt to a, a, a change in situation. Um, and I think one of the best ways to see that is kind of in the receiving game in college because a lot of backs, like it's just easy and easier in college to just not ask your running back to do that at all. Um, so I, I kind of look at some of these guys, but I just don't have time to watch them, which I, I have watched Montreal. But the, the easy way to do it is you go and you look at the receiving output. And really, it's actually less about the receptions and more about kind of the average. 
Like how, what's their average yards per reception? Again, this is not a foolproof way, but if you kind of want to see how somebody's functionally as an athlete, if they're not getting used further downfield or they're not able to kind of make guys miss on dump offs, um, that's going to hurt your yards per reception. And last year in the SEC, he averaged fewer than five yards per catch on 12 catches. It's not very good. And I think that kind of points to a lack of dynamism for a guy like Montreal Johnson uh, when you compare him to obviously kind of top-tier options. But if you go and look at like Jameer Gibbs stats from the past couple of years, or even Tank Bigsby, quite frankly, who I think people, uh, including myself, have always said, you know, maybe not an amazing receiver, maybe, maybe competent is the bucket that he falls into. And he outpaces that. Um, by by a pretty hefty margin there. So um, yeah, Montreal Johnson, not a guy that I'm I'm really huge on at this stage, and I I would prefer not to roster him if I don't have to, uh, even at current cost. Trayon Webb is the other back here. He's a true freshman. Um, uh, we were, our recruiting team, I think, was like oh, they thought he was okay, you know, for for a recruit. I don't know that there's high end NFL athleticism here or high end NFL ability, but um, I do think he's. I'm more interested in Trehan Webb cheap than I am at Montreal Johnson at this stage. And maybe if, if Webb gets to Montreal Johnson's cost next offseason, maybe I'm not so interested in Webb, but he's 350 right now. And I think he's at worst the same as Montreal Johnson, but I, th- I think he's a little better even. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it, with Webb too, you know, I, I don't know what eligibility looks like with Montreal, but he has like one to two years left where I, Webb is just getting to campus now. Johnson might have three years and eh, might only be two. Nah, I don't know, but Webb is just now getting to campus. So it's two. It's two. he's got two. So Webb's got some time left, um, you know, and he can, he'll be able to, to step in. And at some point, you know, ETN and Johnson will both be gone. So I, I get wanting Webb. I think you'd probably have to wait a little bit for him. I'm not the biggest Webb fan, so I'm probably not going after him. And again, like I was saying before, you know, even if he ends up being the leading rusher for Billy Napier, the best that that's ever been is 17 points per game. So don't really need that for CFF production either. So I'm ETN for Debbie purposes, and that's about it for that backfield for me. Wide receiver uh, Eugene Wilson, I think, is the guy that we all covet the most here at Campus to Canton, a true freshman. I think the two things working for him is that this wide receiver room is really, really bad. Uh, but more importantly, they really don't have another slot guy, which is what Eugene Wilson is. Um, very dynamic after the catch. Um, kind of, honestly, Elijah Moore-ish, but I don't think he's okay. quite that talented. But a, a solid player all around, and I think the situation, even though the quarterback play is going to be bad and we don't know, even in the not-so-distant future, like who's the guy that tends to, to benefit on that kind of stuff? Like the slot guy that you're just you're you're putting him in space and you're saying go to work. So I do think Wilson can be a productive guy over the next few years, even if they don't fix the quarterback situation. I think that's what makes him so uh, attractive to me as a receiving option uh, on the Gators. Yeah, I think he's the best receiver in that room. Ricky Pearsall is probably a better receiver right now. Technically, Ricky Pearsall is probably better today. Yeah, I was going to say, Ricky Pearsall is better right now, but I think Eugene Wilson will ultimately be better. And like you said, there's a fairly clear path for Eugene Wilson to start playing right away. I mean, there's a there was like a video that somebody put out on Twitter of him like um, squatting like a stupid amount or something like that, um, just working out. Uh, So 
you know, he's a, a good athlete, explosive athlete. Um, and I think he'll do well in the slot there. And, you know, Graham Mertz, yeah, he'll probably have to get the ball out fairly quickly. And Eugene Wilson, he might end up looking at him a decent amount. So even this year, like I think Eugene Wilson could have a, a, a solid year for a freshman. Like if he has 500 yards, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, Andy Jean, another true freshman here. And I, I, I kind of want to put Aiden Mizzle in here as well. I think they're both, um, interesting athletes, but very underwhelming, um, receivers. And I think the expectations that we have, as we've talked about on the show before, for guys coming immediate from high school into college have changed so much over the past decade with all the training and stuff that's out there. There's really no reason for guys to have been playing football for years to show up with uh, very little like actual wide receiver technical ability. And I think that's kind of what Gene and Mizzle both give to you to differing degrees. I uh, I took Gene in a 20 teamer at the very beginning of the offseason because there was a little bit of buzz out of camp, a camp yeah. at which Eugene Wilson was not present. He did not enroll Correct. early. So I I actually I I don't have Gene or Mizzle in any other league except for that one, and I probably uh, I they could make me regret it. They could, but I I feel fine. You know, I, it's not keeping me up at night in at the present time. Yeah, I am not overly interested in Gene or Mizzle either. Uh, again, this offense just is not going to be good there there's not really anybody that you're going to want to start from this offense at any point in time in like a standard league so you're really looking at players like what is the debbie potential of these guys uh, because they are coming from florida you know big program sec so if they do flash you know they can they can get some draft capital eugene wilson really the only receiver that i see doing that in this room um ricky pearsall probably gets drafted i think you know, maybe he's like a sixth, seventh round guy, but how much is that going to do for your NFL squad? Uh, Andy Jean, maybe he gets to a point where he gets drafted, but I'm not overly confident in it. Cause like you said, he's, he doesn't really have a ton of the technical ability there. So it's really Eugene Wilson and that's about it for the receivers. Yeah. I mean, Pearsall, I, I, we, we have to at least mention him and I do think he's like a legitimately pretty good college receiver overall, but the volume and, and the, talent quite frankly around him like you just mentioned not going to be there uh for him 33 catches for 661 yards and five touchdowns last year for him his first year there at florida after his previous three at arizona state uh tight end um i, I have heard that arliss boardingham has gotten a little bit of hype this offseason from the staff they've, they've said that he's been making some plays uh, Boardingham was a guy that I liked as a stash option last year. He's a little more H backy. Um, he's you know six three two thirty kind of tight end. I don't know that, that's six, actually three and a half two forty five. Pretty close. Oh, he's actually bulked a little bit, so that that's mm -hmm. not bad. He for has, him. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I think the size there is going to end up being a little limiting for him. But I do think uh, in an offense kind of missing intriguing athletes at the moment. I do think that he. Um, kind of stands out and not a guy that I probably wanted a 12 teamer, um, but something a little deeper than that. I, I could be convinced. Yeah, I agree. I think he's on the like Johnny Smith spectrum of a player. So maybe 
there's an NFL future there, but like you said, he's kind of more H backy and we've seen Johnu Smith kind of fall out of relevancy too. Like that's not really in that style of player isn't really in vogue anymore in the NFL. Um, so I, I, he's a name worth mentioning because like you said, he has been getting some buzz, but not overly interested in boarding him. I'm not rostering him in a standard league. Georgia. C2C Winning Edge has their FBS power ranking at two. <sighs> Not at one, two. You heard. Of. I think Ohio State's one, I think. Uh, maybe. I'm pretty sure it was because I think I was just listening to the Big Ten uh, episode on the way mm-hmm. to the expo. So I'm almost positive Ohio State's at one. Um, yeah, and they're 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 top in the SEC though here. So that would uh that would make sense. Um quarterbacks. Carson Beck stepping in to be the starter this year. Stetson Bennett leaving um, Beck, a former like mid low four star kind of guy. Um, I I I think he is um, he's tied to Georgia as a starting quarterback. Uh, I don't know that the volume is going to be here necessarily for him to be super productive this year. Um, and quite frankly, I know I, I am actually very low on the skill guys at Florida, like Georgia, or sorry, at Georgia, just flat out overall. I, I am low on Dominic Lovett. I'm low on Ra Ra Thomas. I don't even know why he went there. Um, the other guys that they've kind of recruited over the past couple of years have not really um, panned out. And, and the one that I think probably had the best chance to do so, Adnai Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, uh, left for Texas. We already talked about him over uh in that episode um lad mcconkey as i've said for the past two years i think he's an nfl receiver but i think he's like the third or maybe fourth option on an nfl team i I don't think he is more than that so i mean this isn't a team that's gonna wow you with their weapons outside of obviously brock bowers who i i think brock bowers is an excellent player but uh, we Mm -hmm. could get into some size discussion there in terms of you know nfl potential down the line so Moral of the story, I, I don't know that the volume is amazing. I don't know that Carson Beck himself is amazing. And I don't know that the weapons around him are so good. Now, granted, Georgia is probably going to be more talented than basically every team they play this year, as the you know talent index uh, indicates. But I'm, I'm skeptical on high-end Debbie potential, and I'm a little skeptical overall, especially because a good amount of Stetson Bennett's production last year came on the ground and it does not seem like that's quite Beck's style. So I think Beck college football has evolved so much since, since this comparison. But I think when you're talking about some of those Alabama teams from like 10 to 15 years ago, when Saban first got there um, that basically had like anonymous dudes at quarterback, but still continued to win because everybody else was so good. I think that's kind of what Carson Beck is like, not a bad player. But does is he is he actually elevating this offense at all this year? I don't think so. I have a full disclosure taken him late in some leagues when he's fallen because you the you know what if always plays in your mind. I don't think it's going to happen, but it could. Yeah, I think the hype around Carson Beck has jumped the shark a little bit. Um, I have him as my QB 36 in C2C, but he's never really going in that range, honestly. And that's also the range where I have, I have Daquan Finn, Will Howard, Jalen Daniels, 
like right around that range. I would, I'm going to get some CFF value from them. Now we did talk Jalen Daniels on the um, big 12 pod. So, you know, maybe we don't see quite as much production from him as what we thought we were going to see. Um, but they're like right in that range there. So, and like you said, with Beck, they're not really going to have to throw the ball a ton because of the competition that they're playing. They also bring in Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator, who's not really known for being this prolific offense or anything. Uh, although I did notice an interesting note about his wide receivers, which we'll get to in a, uh, we'll yeah, I mean, in Colorado second. state, he produced a bunch of guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which we can get to that in a sec, but um, I think earlier in the off season, Carson Beck was a, a big value. I think it's kind of swung the other way there where he's probably a sell for me at this point. But like you said, there is that, you know, what if, um, what if they let him sling it around a little bit? And what if a couple of those receivers take a step? NFL probably comes calling for him, you know, in the second round then, and maybe he gets a shot there. So I, I think he's probably more of a sell, but I get it. If you, you want to hang on for the ceiling. Um, the other quarterback here, I mean, I think, I think at this point we've all kind of left Brock Vandergriff for dead. Um, I think a move to a, uh, Georgia Southern or something like that would be somewhat interesting for him, but not, um, I I just think Georgia is way, uh, too, uh, good of a team, quite frankly, for, (laughs) for him to ever play for. Yeah. Um, Gunnar Stockton is the other guy there. Um, I'm. We have never seen Gunnar Stockton. We have not seen Gunnar Stockton play well since the competition level kind of ratcheted up, starting with the All-Star games, including what sounded like his first year of practice there. Um, their spring game, he was not particularly good. We are big roles. We don't really take a ton of overarching stuff from those games. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is we just haven't seen this dude look good in a while. Sounds like he is really inconsistent in practice. I don't think he's the next guy here. Which is why I do not believe I have Gunner Stockton uh, rostered anywhere, and I again sleep fine at night with that fact. Um, I'm I'm interested to. Hear, so, who do you think the next guy is? Rayola. There, you think Rayola plays as a freshman? I don't think it's a guarantee that Beck is not there for two years. I don't think he's the level of player that is going to be good enough to go after this year, and he has three years if he wants it. I think Beck plays two more years there, and then Rayola, as a second-year player, hmm. takes a starting okay. job. Yes, that is see, my I, prediction. I, I see Carson Beck as having like maybe like a Mac Jones type of a, a year, and then he thinks he's going to get maybe taken in the first round, so he'll come out. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does stick around for another year, but... Didn't I think you just talk it, about the yeah you you don't think he's that level of player, but now you're you're saying he's going to be a Mac Jones kind of guy. He he well, Carson Beck not, will know if he, Jones, Carson, no, no. Carson Beck will know if he's a Mac Jones guy or not before he declares. He doesn't have to guess and then find out three months down the line. He's going to know that. I I mean December. I think there's going to be I th- I think by in December there's going to be like pundits that are saying oh this guy's a first round quarterback. I don't think the NFL will see it that way. That, we'll see what the, the draft advisory board says. He, he's at he's at Georgia. They're going to get good information. He's not at Little Sisters of the Poor University where he hears his name on ESPN and thinks it's cool. They get like legitimate info. I don't think that that's going to happen to him. I don't know. I could see him 
you know, reading his own clippings and, and coming out. I don't know. Maybe he does stick around for another year. I don't, but I don't think he's that level of player. But a lot of these guys think that they are. And it doesn't really matter what I think matters, what he thinks and what he wants to do. I think I it matters s- more what I think guys like Kirby and Nick Saban, what really is valuable to a lot of these guys is that they're honest with them when it comes time and they'll tell them, get the hell out and don't come back. You're going to cost yourself money. Or they'll say, you really need to come back another year. I don't think they're going to hit, ever hit the point this season where Kirby smart says you need to leave to go get money. I do not think that we're ever going to hit that point with him this year. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll see how it plays out. But if he does stick around, then yeah, I could see that being a Beck for two years. Rayola steps in. Um, If Beck does leave, then I would think Stockton would get that job. We'll see how it plays out though, but I'm not buying Stockton anywhere. I'm not drafting him anymore. He's like one of those fringe cuttable guys. Like if I need another roster spot, I would cut him. I would also hang on to him if I don't, if there's not somebody that I'm like, I want that guy on waivers. Um, The running back room here is as full as it usually is at Georgia. Although I don't know that we have a, um, you know, a Nick Chubb or a Todd Gurley or, or one of those guys necessarily in this backfield at present. Branson Robinson, um, it sounds like he has not been uh, super impressive this offseason, and I believe right now he's he's nursing up. some sort of a, a small injury. Um, so we'll see what that looks like over the next couple of weeks going into the season here. Kendall Milton, surprise, surprise, is also injured right now. It sounds like it's real. And I, Roderick Robinson was banged up. I don't remember if he still is or not. But they've they've had some, some injuries uh, minor in that running back room. Uh, it does sound like Andrew Paul uh, is making his way back. Um, whether he's ready for week one or not, I don't know. But it sounds like he's he's um, he, he's looked fine, and especially since he's really one of the only running backs there right now, um, getting some work. And then Dejan Edwards uh, is, is there too and kind of figures to be he, annoying there. <laughs> for the rest of us that, that kind of are rooting for the upside of one of these other backs. Uh, but they're all big backs. Uh, the smallest one is Dejan Edwards, who's a little over 200 pounds. The other guys are all 220 plus. Uh, or you know, I think Andrew Paul's uh, maybe slightly below that. I mean, it's it's a it's a big boy backfield. Um, I I kind of like taking Paul and Robinson just because they're kind of cheap. Roderick Robinson, I mean, uh, Branson is probably peaking in terms of value. So not a guy that I've been really uh, acquiring too much this offseason, but I do think that there are interesting profiles here, um, but uh, tough to uh, project real starter value uh, right now. And and honestly, because of that, kind of tough to figure out exactly where these guys are going to go once they hit the NFL. Like, do you feel good about saying any of these backs are uh, third round picks right now? I, I don't feel amazing about saying that. I do. I think uh, Branson Robinson, it's going to depend on his health, but I think he flashed enough as a freshman. It's big. He's fast. We'll see, you know, what his receiving profile looks like. I don't think it'll end up being that great. So maybe that's what holds him out of the third round and maybe pushes him into the fourth. But I could really realistically see any of these guys getting, in the third round um 
Kendall Milton, maybe not because the medicals probably won't check out because he's been hurt so often. Uh, but if you told me that Andrew Paul comes back from that ACL and he looks good this year, uh, I could see him, you know, playing well for two years and getting taken in the third round. Um, I, I could see the same thing out of Roderick Robinson. We've talked about it before a couple times on the show. Guys that are 6'3 and run 20 what three or 22 miles per hour mm -hmm. it's a very small list and all the guys that are on that list it's like saquon barkley derrick henry bo jackson like those types of athletes so is that type of athlete the type of guy that gets drafted on or that type of player the type of guy that gets drafted on day two yeah it is the problem is these guys are all like the same archetype they're all very talented um you know, Branson Robinson was uh was he a five star or borderline five star? I think he was just outside of five star. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Roderick Robinson, not that far outside of five star status either. Kendall Milton, not that far outside of five star status. Andrew Paul had a huge rise his senior year. If he starts as a four star, who knows how close to five star status he gets rather than starting as like a three star guy. These guys all have basically the same profile. You know, we're talking about Clemson wide receivers having the same profile for years. That's this is what we're looking at here. So my biggest problem with this room is I think all of these guys are talented. I just have no idea who's going to get the touches. And I think that's, what's going to ultimately matter for the NFL is like, which of these guys actually gets the carries and is the starter and which one doesn't. And the other ones will probably get drafted at some point on day three because of their profile, the big fast at Georgia. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Wide receivers here, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I, I don't actually don't like any of these players. I am yeah. not. Uh, I, I don't believe I roster uh, any of them, really, especially at current cost. Um, for the record, I would challenge anybody to go search their favorite favorite Debbie analyst Twitter account and find somebody who talked about Don, Dominic Lovett for earlier than I did. Um, uh, when he was entering college as a true freshman, when Mookie Cooper... Uh, went down in spring. I said, Dominic Lovett to the moon. And Felix made fun of me um, <laughs> for knowing who Dominic Lovett was. Um, since and now then, Felix is, is a fan. Now Felix loves Dominic Lovett. Yeah. And I actually kind of liked Lovett because he went to high school with their, uh, at the time, incoming freshman backup quarterback, Tyler Macon, uh, who mm -hmm. I thought at a school like Missouri could be a kind of guy that, that could get that job and, and dual threaten. And be effective for a couple of years there. Um, didn't work out so well for Macon, but but did work out for Lovett. Um, second, or he he was the leading receiver at Missouri last year, uh, just south of a thousand yards. He's now at Georgia. I think it, it's really interesting because when I when I have debated this on other shows with uh, Felix Sharp, one of the uh, co co founders here at Campus to Canton, I I think we have a a, a large disagreement as to what his kind of best role is. I think he's a intermediate to deep kind of guy, but I don't know that the high-end athletic traits are there to necessarily consistently make that happen, especially if we're talking about uh, purely as a Debbie value. Um, I kind of also actually feel similarly about Lad McConkey, but I think he's a little bit better of a, uh, a little more versatile than Lovett. Um, and then, I mean, wh who's the other receivers you want to talk about here? Rob, Rob Thomas. I, I don't think he should have gone there. I don't know what he was thinking. I, I don't think he stands out in this room. You're talking about a guy like, uh, uh Marcus Rosemead Jack Saint. Um, 
I'm trying to think of what other receivers are, are on the uh, Dylan Bell. Um, they brought in Tyler Williams this year. Alan Morissette. Um, yeah. I mean, Arian, Arian Smith is actually a guy that I think is legitimately, legitimately interesting to talk about. If we want to talk about receiver, if he can stay healthy, Felix likes him. And I actually agree with Felix on this point. He's a guy that's six foot, like 180. He's Will Fuller type of athlete, like legit. And literally, anytime he plays, he scores seventy-yard touchdowns. The problem is, he very rarely plays. He was a guy that I was super high on coming out of high school. When this class came into Georgia, if you remember correctly, a couple years ago, it was um, uh, um, uh, Jermaine Burton, uh, Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint, uh, Arian Smith, and uh, there was another guy too. Um, and I, I had a very clear, it was, it was, uh, Rosemary Jackson and Arian Smith were the two that I liked the most of the group. Uh, yeah. What there was a, a three star that year that you liked too. Was that Jackson Meeks? That year? was the year after that. Cause the year after that, they didn't bring okay. in any four stars. They brought in Jackson Meeks and AD Mitchell. Uh, and that was it at okay. wide receiver. Um, and actually okay. I think they, they might've gotten uh lad McConkey that year too. Um, okay. Very, very odd recruiting class that that was a COVID class. It, it got a little weird that year. Um, but yeah, I think that he's actually interesting because I think he's an NFL level athlete. I think he has a skill that the NFL covets. And I think if he can stay healthy, which again has been very tough for him so far, I think he's super interesting. Like this is a guy that if he has a, he stays healthy all year, we could talk about as a Jalen Hyatt or better type draft capital kind of guy going into the NFL. So I, I actually, uh, I, not don't say this often. I agree with Felix. I actually like Arian Smith the most out of any player in this receiver room right now. Yeah, I definitely get that. Um, liking him the most because of the like you said, there's a, a very clear um calling card that he has, and it's that speed. And he's gonna absolutely destroy the combine when he goes. The big concern is the injuries. That's you know, been the question mark with him for his entire career. Um, the guy that so there's one guy that outside of Arian Smith that I am interested in, uh, and it is Marcus Rosemey Jackson. Now, the thing with Marcus Rosemey Jackson that intrigues me the most is one right now, um, C2C Winning Edge projects him to be the starter at X. And Mike Bobo, when he was at Colorado State, his wide receiver ones, he has he really focused on that at big X wide receiver. Um they threw five years there, his wide receiver one in fantasy points per game, 19.5, 26.3, 20.8, 19.2, 16.1. And he put those guys into the NFL. One of them was Michael Gallup. The other one was Preston Williams. Preston Williams had some off-field stuff. Um, the other one was Warren Jackson, probably not an NFL caliber of an athlete. But I think Rosemary Jackson is an NFL caliber athlete. He is looking like he's going to be the X. I'm not expecting this massive production from him like we saw from the wide receiver ones at Colorado State. But Jack Saint finally played a full year last year healthy. He played 15 games. Um, and, you know, he had a, a role on the team. I mean, he was um, out out of the pass catchers. And I'm, you know, taking uh, Kenny McIntosh out of that who had 43 catches. It was third on the team in in catches and yards. He had two touchdowns. So, he, you know, that's behind Bowers and Lad McConkey. So he had a decent year. Like you touched on his recruiting pedigree. It was a pretty good recruiting pedigree. 
I could see him being having like a decent year, maybe like 40 to 50 ish catches this year. Uh, and then being like a day three type of a guy. Um, I don't see day two at this point, but he's the other guy that if you made me pick somebody in this room, I would be kind of interested in him. Um, the tight ends, I think, are probably more interesting than to me than the wide receivers, although I have it's definitely not a hard or fast rule, but I, I tend not to really take freshman tight ends and supplementals, which um, uh, means that I, I actually don't have a lot of Pierce Sperlin and Lost and Lucky, even though I do think they're uh, very talented incoming freshmen. We obviously have Brock Bowers here. I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on Brock Bowers. I think really the uh, discussion at this point almost turns to what will the NFL think of him and, and what can he do there as a guy that's probably closer to 6'2", 230. Um, over the past two years, true freshman, true sophomore years, 119 catches for 1,824 yards and 20 touchdowns. I mean, that's pretty uh, unheard of production for a tight end. Um, I, I, I tend not to really be interested in him uh, in the first round and a half, which is where he usually goes in startups. Um, and maybe he'll prove me wrong. I, I, I put out a tweet going into his true freshman year saying, why are we taking Brock Bowers so early with <laughs> Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington there? Um, and, and that quickly uh, uh, did not work out for me. So maybe I'll just take L's the whole way uh, through to the Hall of Fame with him. But I, I do think the size is, is fairly concerning, even though the athleticism is not. And that's one of the things that we really look for at the position. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the athleticism is there. I think the NFL is going to like him. But I, I I am concerned about the size as well at 6'2", 230. Can he get up to 245 and maintain that athleticism? I don't know. I, I lean no at this point. Like, I don't know if he's going to get to 245. Maybe he gets to like 240. But 6'2", 240, that's not a typical athletic that's not a typical tight end profile. So you are betting on an outlier here. Um, if you're comfortable betting on an outlier, then this is the one to do it on. You know, uh, it's similar to like Devin Achain last year. You know, he was an outlier. That was a guy that I was kind of betting on as an outlier, but acknowledging that, yes, this is an outlier. Brock Bowers would be an outlier as well. Now, if he gets first round draft capital next year by the NFL, then I think you have to, to assume that whatever team's going to take him is going to use him in a creative way, which would be great for his fantasy production um, profile for the, uh, the NFL. He's, he's a difficult profile to handle right now. And I agree with you. I'm not typically drafting him in the first round and a half one. I'm not typically drafting tight ends there. And I say, typically like I'm basically never drafting a tight end there. Uh, and two, his profile worries me just enough that, I'm I don't have very much Brock Bowers and that could make me look foolish as well. Any thoughts on uh, Delp, Spearlin or Lucky, the other guys there? It does sound like Delp has looked uh, has been impressive. Uh, this fall was a guy that was uh, my top tight end in last year's class. And I, I I really do believe in the talent. And I think this offseason, the uh, value has dropped to an acceptable uh, level I, I i kind of like him moving forward and and you know if he doesn't play that much this year they run a lot of two tight end stuff but everyone's going to be behind bowers you only have to wait a year at this point which is in my opinion much easier to stomach than uh the the two that we probably were thinking of uh when he entered college 
No, I mean, we we hate Oscar Delp um, here. He is uh, our consensus tight end three. We absolutely hate him. We're way too low on Oscar Delp. Uh, no, I, I do like Oscar Delp. I think he's going to step into that second tight end role now with Todd Monken not there anymore and Mike Bobo coming in as a different offense. How productive is the second tight end going to be? How many? How often are they going to run two tight end sets? I don't know exactly with Mike Bobo coming in there, but Oscar Delp is very talented. He has more traditional size at the uh, at the tight end position there, so he's a little bit safer of a profile overall, even if he may not have the ceiling that Bowers does. But like you said, he's going to be the next guy up there. He already, you know, he got some time as a true freshman in that loaded tight end room. So I think that bodes well. There's been some steady drum beat for him in Georgia, but it hasn't really caught up to his um, perceived value in C2C and Debbie um, league. So, Oscar Delp's absolutely a player that I would be buying right now. I do agree with Mike uh, Valerie from uh, Back to Debbie over uh, over at our site here and on our podcast feed that he is undervalued right now. So I am a fan of Oscar Delp. I would uh, he's somebody that I would be buying. Um, let's head to Kentucky here. Um, I think I, it's also worth mentioning Sperlin and Lucky. I did um, mention them. I, I asked if you had any any thoughts on them. Oh, I thought you were just going with asking me about Delp. Um, no, I mean, Sperlin and Lucky are both two, two of the top tight ends in this class. I think they're both very good. Um, and they're just going to kind of be the next in that line of succession there. So uh, I, I'll i draft them if the, if, if the value gets good enough, like I did last year with Delp. Uh, Kentucky, 23rd overall in the C2C winning edge. Uh, talent uh, power rankings here, 8th in the SEC. Uh, new quarterback, Will Levis leaves, uh, Devin Leary stepping in. I, I, quite frankly, I think it's not just Devin Leary, but I think a big portion of it will be him and, and uh, their their former offensive coordinator uh, who was there two years ago, left to the Rams and came back. He's now Liam the OC Cohen. again, Liam Cohen. Yeah, and um, I think that this offense actually, I think will be better this year. The offensive line last year was uncharacteristic characteristically weak i think they'll be better i think leary is a kind of quarterback that actually will highlight the receiving talent around him better uh than levis will i do think it's at worst a uh sideways move from a college talent perspective from chris rodriguez to ray davis who comes in uh from uh vanderbilt and then formerly of temple so um, I mean, I think uh, you starting with Leary. I mean, I think this offense, uh, I, it could be surprisingly solid this year. Yeah, I agree. And we, we've talked about that before with uh, Leary and comparing him to Levis, where I think that Leary is the safer play, barring his medicals checking out. I think he gets drafted probably like a fourth, fifth round type of a guy, but I think he'll be like a long-term NFL backup. Um, and he does highlight his skill players a little bit better than, than Levis did. Um, so I, I think that him coming in, them getting Liam Cohen back who in 2021 with Kentucky, uh, 65th in neutral game script pass rate, 88th in pace. I, I would expect the pace to pick up a little bit 
Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's a better offense than what we saw last year. They do bring back three offensive linemen. They have one transfer coming in, project, probably projected to start. So hopefully the protection for Leary is a little bit better and he has the time to accentuate those weapons. So I think Cohen and Leary coming back to your Cohen coming back and Leary coming to Kentucky is uh, a definitely a good thing for this offense overall. Leary threw for almost 3,500 yards and 35 touchdowns uh, in 2021. I mean, this is not a, a bad player by any stretch and popular trendy kind of guy to take a step last year and got injured uh, in NC state as a team kind of underwhelmed a little bit um, running back. I did mention Ray Davis here. Um, he was with Vanderbilt last year, his first year uh, really kind of uh, having the, the starting job there for them. 232 carries over a thousand yards and five touchdowns at Vanderbilt. And then also caught almost 30 passes as well. This is a, a very well-rounded back. Um, he has never averaged over five yards per carry, though. Um, and quite frankly, even though the receiving volume has been there, again, if you're if you've never watched Ray Davis, if you just go look at his receiving numbers, um, fewer like around five yards per catch over the past three years in college. This is not an overly dynamic player by any stretch. He's kind of one of those little meatball kind of guys. Um, but I do think that he can go to Kentucky and continue that uh, 1,000 yard pedigree that they have there, uh, especially considering he did it at a much worse school last year in Vanderbilt. Yeah, absolutely. I think he is in line to have a big year this year for um, for Kentucky. They've just kind of been churning out thousand yard rushers the past several years when it was uh, Benny Snell and Chris Rodriguez. I think Davis is going to kind of be the next guy in that line. And I do think Davis is a better athlete than Snell and Rodriguez. Now Davis isn't um, this like elite athlete or whatever, you know, like you were saying. Um, but I, I think he is uh, decent enough that he'll get drafted a little bit higher than those other two guys, you know, who were they were like, I think sixth round guys. So um, Davis, his athletic comparison tool has, uh, Javante Williams and Vic Ballard on it and Kenneth Dixon. Um, so those were like NFL level guys. I don't think he's quite Javante Williams, but to me, he's a type of guy who's probably going to be like a fourth round type of a guy. Maybe, maybe if he surprises the combine could sneak into day two, but I think it's more likely a fourth round pick i but think he's, he's like a sixth or seventh round guy i just i think that's what he is at this point i i think he would test very poorly um to be honest i mean our athletic comparison tool has him like i said compared to javante vic ballard kenneth dixon it's got him at um a 74th percentile athleticism score i i think after some injuries i think that's a little lofty for him Uh, maybe we'll see, but he catches passes. He's a big guy. I think he's going to put up a lot of numbers at Kentucky. I, I think Ray Davis is a guy who's being um, like slept on a little bit right now. I think he's like a post hype sleeper type of a guy. Um, Cause in the two seasons that he's been healthy and played a full years, first one was his freshman year at temple where he had 936 yards, eight touchdowns, 15 catches. Um, then last year, 232 carries a thousand yards, 29 catches. So 
I think he's the type of guy who's going to have a, he's going to get drafted a little bit earlier than what you seem to think. Um, wide receivers, Barry and Brown, Dane key are the two, um, I think most well-known guys, but Tavion Robinson is an excellent, uh, wide receiver three there for Kentucky as well. Brown, uh, top 10 consensus guy here for us at campus to Canton. Um, just super, super athletic. Um, basically a taller Jalen Waddle, essentially, um, you know, six foot tall, um, a little light, but uh, super dynamic and probably the best uh, return guy in the country at present. Uh, so at worst, I think he's got a career doing that. And then Key, a little more of the bigger bodied guy, um, uh, kind of in the same bucket as Mike Williams, if you've never watched him, uh, the, the current Chargers, former uh, Clemson guy. I don't think he is that level of player, but that's kind of what he does. Um, I, I actually think both are like kind of interesting values at Brown's a little too expensive for me this off season compared to where I think he probably should go, but I still do, do like him. Uh, and key every league has a key truther, but he always falls further than I would think the key truther would take him. It's, it's a very odd, uh, situation there. Yeah, I think, Dane Key is just a really nice complimentary piece. I think he's a really nice wide receiver too. And I think he'll be a good wide receiver too for an NFL team, but he's not really the type of guy that I ever see being like a, somebody that I'm excited to start either in college or when he does get to the NFL. So I think key, you're right. Some leagues, like the leagues do seem to have, a key truther, but there are times where he does fall a little bit further. So I, yeah, I have him in a couple places, but Barry and Brown's really the big name in this room. Like you talked about, I mean, he's super athletic. I like the skill set overall. He needs to bolt add a little bit of weight. So that way he can at least get to that, like Devonte uh, Smith weight. Cause uh, he's like what? One seventy. Yeah. He's right around Barry and Brown. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see him get to like 180 if he can here, but there aren't other super, than that. He's super like, I don't want to call him scrawny, but he's definitely yeah. like a slightly built guy. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, there's not really that much I have concerned with his profile, but I think the community at large has caught up to Barry and Brown. Uh, you know, one of our, our interviews was, was very hyped on Barry and Brown. So um, it was that. Um, You're trying to guess who it was. So, so we're doing yeah, who was really that? good radio, buddy. Yeah, I, uh, I, I uh, it wasn't Noah. It was the guy after Noah, I think, right? No, it was Andrew Woodruff. Andrew, Andrew Woodruff. Woodruff. Okay. That that liked Barry and Brown this year. Yeah. Gotcha. Missouri, 44th in the country in the C2C winning edge power rankings, 12th uh, in the SEC. Uh, no quarterbacks here that I want to roster at all. Straight up. None. Yeah, definitely not. Even with the new offensive coordinator. I just don't think any of them are very talented. Um, yeah, they've swung and missed on several of the last quarterbacks that they have. They always seem to bring in like a like low-end four-star guy, and they just miss every time. Who was the guy that people liked last year? Sam Horn? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's even really... It sounds like he's like third on the depth chart at this point. They brought in Jake Garcia uh, from Miami. Uh, who wasn't terribly good there. Uh, I've seen one or two people uh, kind of like Jabari Johnson, the true freshman they bring in this year. But I'm mean, again, this is, this is not a rosterable guy in my opinion, really not even 
uh, close at this point, maybe a year or two down the line, we're talking about it, but um, you know, that doesn't need to be talked about today. Running backs. It sounds like Cody Schrader probably has this starting job and new offensive coordinator um, who comes over from uh, uh, Fresno um, kind of just gets thousand yard running backs. That's kind of what he does. And I think at one point this offseason there was a quote as uh, he's quoted as saying, "Yeah, Cody Cody Schrader looks like a thousand yard back to me." So um, could could be an interesting player there. I do think we're sleeping a little bit. Uh, as I believe, I think it was Nate Marquise talked about it on a show a couple weeks ago uh, on the network here. Maybe it was with uh, Burning the Red Shirt um, that Nathaniel Pete um, got kind of injured at the beginning of last year, which really derailed his season. And I still think he's a competent, uh, solid player. So um, Pete, I think a little bit of a post type sleeper, but it sounds like Schrader uh, has the job. And you know, I'm not sure how attractive the backup running back job at Missouri is that I've, I'm, I'm using a roster spot on it. Yeah, Pete's a guy that we liked last year in this offense, but like you said, I don't know how much I want the backup um, guy, even with Kirby Moore coming in as the offensive coordinator. Um, At Fresno State last year, they were 30th in neutral game script pass rate, 47th in pace. He comes from that Jeff Tedford and Kalen DeBoer system. He's worked under both of them, um, and both of them do – throw the ball to the running back a decent amount, which is something that Nathaniel Pete did fairly well at Stanford, which is what kind of makes him a little bit intriguing at least. But yeah, it does sound like it's going to be Cody Schrader. Um, I'm not completely counting out Tavoris Jones either. I'm not rostering him, but I am keeping an eye on him. He got a tiny little bit of buzz in the spring and he is a very good receiving back. So I could see him maybe being like a next year type of a guy. Um, but he's a guy that I'm just tucking away at least the the name and I'm not forgetting about it to hear if, if there's any, if he starts to get some more work because I think he could be good in this offense. Um, I, the wide receivers, Luther Burden is, we think the top guy here. Um, and I, I don't think we're dumb for thinking that as a guy that, uh, was a five-star top rated re- receiver in his, uh, freshman class, and then went on, uh, to be a pretty productive, uh, yet inefficient last year uh, as a true freshman. Um, I mean, I, the, 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 the Luther Burton stuff's been, that horse has just been beat to death. Like, it's not even a conversation that I find interesting anymore. Like, okay, I get it. You either, you either don't like them or you do, um, I, I like him. I think he's at worst a top 80 pick in the NFL. I I, I think they're going to like him. He's a good athlete. He's been productive. He can do a ton of different stuff. Um, if you want to comp him to LaVisca Chenault, which I think is a incorrect comp, that's fine. But LaVisca Chenault still went day two, and you have plenty of time to get rid of him if you didn't like him. So you know that's what we're talking about with Burden. Then like, that's fine with me. Theo Weiss is there with him here. Um, and I think there's the only two receivers even worth mentioning at this stage with Lovett leaving. I, I, I'm not going to talk about Mookie Cooper. We're we're three years past talking about Mookie Cooper here on this show. Yeah, it's it's really Luther Burden for me. I'm not really all that interested in Weiss. Um, but with the addition of Kirby Moore, it should be a better offensive system. Uh, I, I could see Luther Burden operating in that Jalen Moreno-Cropper role, which will probably still be a little bit more of a lower A dot 
which I know is, you know, some of Burden's detractors, that's kind of what they're concerned with. But I think Luther Burden can do more than just operate in the short area. Uh, he does return punts and everything like, uh, you know, he did last year. We'll see if he ends up doing that this year. But I don't think you put a guy back there who can return punts if they aren't good at tracking the ball. So that signals to me that he could also do that downfield. So even if the offense only asks him to operate in the short area uh, and they try to get the ball in his hands and kind of let him, you know, do his thing after the catch, I'm not overly worried about it. I do think he's like a top uh, 80, 100 pick in the NFL draft. And I think he's uh, going to be a, a solid NFL player as well. Even if, like you said, even if you want to throw the LaVisca Chenault comps out there, which is not my favorite comp, but I understand it. Um, LaVisca Chenault was still taken day two, and uh, Burden doesn't have those same ball tracking issues that Chenault had. Um, any any thoughts on Theo Weiss? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not really interested in Weiss. I, I've cut him in a couple spots this offseason, quite frankly. He, he's he's pretty fringy. I, I don't I don't uh, I don't think he's uh, former borderline four or five star guys. So that's kind of the reputation that has has lived on. But at this stage, I think we know what Theo Weiss is, which is a very um, uh, slightly above average college wide receiver, um, but probably not a guy the NFL is going to love. Yeah, I don't think the NFL is really going to like him. I don't think this quarterback is going to be able to, whoever the end of starting quarterback ends up being, I don't think they're going to be able to support two uh, fantasy relevant receivers. If that, you know, so if you don't think Burden's going to be it, then that's not, if you don't think Burden's going to have that much production this year um, for your fantasy side, for your CFF side, then you definitely don't want Weiss, and I don't want Weiss. Uh, South Carolina. Um, so an interesting uh, note that we saw in the uh, C2C Winning Edge uh, database is that Missouri and South Carolina have a, actually exactly the same uh, total roster uh, strength rating. So um, they are 40, 43rd and 44th nationally and 12th and 13th, uh, respectively, in the SEC. So basically indistinguishable uh, from, an, uh, from one another from a talent perspective. But I actually think there's a few more players that we like here on South Carolina, and I think it starts with the quarterbacks. Um, say which one about Spencer Rattler. Um, did finish the year pretty well. Uh, big arm, mobile, all that kind of crap. Um, so I do still think he's like moderately intriguing. Even I'm not going to call him like a legitimate Debbie asset, but I do think at the end of the day um, there is still – some sort of intrigue there. And then we also uh, obviously have the exciting young freshman quarterback behind him and Lenora Sellers. Uh, probably don't see him at all this year unless something happens to Rattler, um, but looked really good in the spring and is uh, kind of an athletic freak uh, at almost 230-ish pounds, I believe. Yeah, I think Lenora Sellers' hype has... Um... It's it put his value to a place where I don't typically end up with him because I, I see him going ahead of um, Novasad and I see him going ahead of Austin Mack, who are both quarterbacks that I like more than Sellers personally. I do like Sellers. I do think he's very good. I'm just high on Mack and Novasad. 
Um, Sellers is in that tier two of guys in this class that I do like to try and grab somebody from the group. So if Sellers does fall, like I have no problem taking him, but I feel like his, his hype has jumped the shark a little bit. I know they're bringing in a guy next year too um, that you were a fan of from the Elite 11. Who, uh, his name's escaping me at the moment. It's probably Sellers' job there next year after Rattler leaves anyway. But with Dowell Logan's coming in, I don't know how much I'm going to want pieces of this offense. So it's uh, Sellers is a guy that I'm just a little bit lower on. I don't hate Sellers. I just don't love his value right now. Um, I, I like him as kind of that tier of, of 10 or so quarterbacks that I try to stash two of. Um, I, I like him in that range quite a bit. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know that I agree that I think he's overdrafted. Dante I, Reno. That was the other guy I was trying to think of. Yeah. I, I, at this point, I just think he looked so good in the spring. I think they're going to have an impossible time. I'll say it. Uh, keeping him off the field next year. I think at worst, we're talking about a guy that runs for 600 yards next year. You don't need to throw, you know, it'd be, you don't like, even if he never develops as a passer at all, which I think he is uh, not bad there in, in terms of his current ability. Um, I think there's a guy that can run for 608 to 10 every single year. I just give him such a nice floor from a fantasy perspective. If he had the Andrew, right offensive coordinator, maybe. I don't know I don't that I trust Dowell Logan's to do that. I don't think it matters. How much did Anthony Richardson run for last year when he had literally the worst offensive coordinator, like a worst type of system designed for him that you could give a a rushing quarterback? I, I mean, uh, he ran for less than you think. He ran for six six hundred fifty and nine, and that's a generational like level of athlete at the quarterback position. I think that that sellers can have a similar line to what anthony richardson had last year which was 2500 yards passing 17 touchdowns nine interceptions and 650 yards and nine touchdowns i think he can do that multiple times quite frankly i don't know like i said I, i'm not overly inspired by the offensive coordinator there maybe if they get somebody else in but i don't i'm not convinced that they're gonna let him run i mean i just think for rushing quarterbacks like yes okay if you do not have a really good or inventive uh, offense coordinator are you hitting your peak no but i think that profile of a player is just so easily projectable for college fantasy points because it doesn't matter what the play call is at the end of the day if there's a lane there these kind of guys can just take off and pick up 50 yards like it it's not even difficult for them i don't think um i think it just makes such an intriguing floor and if the passing is half decent then you're getting a great ceiling yeah, I mean, the ceiling is definitely there. Like I said, he's just in the range where I don't typically end up with him. I see him going in like the third round in a lot of drafts. Supplementals, um, you mean? Supplementals, yeah. In the third round in supplementals. And I just have not been pulling the trigger on him there. I'd, I'd rather wait another two, three rounds and grab Novasad or Mac. Um, at running back, it sounds like Dakarian Joiner is going to be the guy that takes the job at South Carolina, um, and has apparently looked decent in camp. Uh, I don't really have that much information on him beyond that, uh, especially because this was mostly um, um, Marshawn Lloyd's job last year before he 
left for uh, USC on the West Coast. The other USC, um, Joyner doesn't have more than 107 yards rushing in any season so far, and this is his uh, sixth year in college. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. I th- think he's a pretty capable receiver. I believe he actually is a converted uh, wide receiver in some sort of shape or form or, or a hybrid type guy. Um, had 24 catches in 2021, uh, only eight last year, but 120 yards and a touchdown off of that. You want to talk about, again, guys dynamic in space. Um, has uh, This guy's basically been at eight yards per reception or higher throughout his career and actually averages closer to 10. Uh, if you combine all of his seasons. So I think uh, if they're actually going to use him that way, I think he's a super interesting uh, upside guy that I'm probably watch listing at this point. Um, and he's really kind of keeping that seat warm for Dontavious Braswell uh, next year, the true freshman high four-star, a guy that we all really like here at C2C uh, and apparently has has been fine uh, there for South Carolina uh, this offseason as well. Yeah, I, I think to carry and joiners, interesting as a watch this guy like you were saying but i do think it's just a matter of time before braswell really starts to take over i mean joiner wasn't even really like a full-time running back he's transitioning from wide receiver now he he has the running back size but it really wouldn't surprise me if by like mid-year dontavian braswell has that a, a, a pretty even committee split uh and then just takes over next year so braswell's really the guy i wanted of this backfield but i do acknowledge that joiner is interesting and he could be worth a pickup in some deeper formats. Um, wide receiver, we're gonna we're gonna lump Nikeley's Harbor in here for now, um, and we can we'll, we'll briefly touch on him again. But I think we've made our feelings fairly known on Harbor at this point. But Antoine Wells is the guy that's going to uh, lead this room, regardless. The transfer up last year, well, it was a transfer up at the time from James Madison, but now James Madison is here, and so it just makes a, a for a weird narrative um but uh antoine wells came up last year in his first year in fbs in the sec 68 catches 928 yards and six touchdowns um i think he's getting some legitimate nfl buzz this is a guy that actually really i mean second game against arkansas eight for 189 and one he, he saw pretty pretty uh good amount of targets uh, across most of their games, I, I think on, on a weekly starting basis, he's scary because he does throw in some weeks in there that are like two for 27, three for 37, two for 16, seven for 52, five for 30. But then he puts just some monsters out there, too. He had a, a nine for 131 and two against Clemson, 11 for 177 against Tennessee, uh, four for 110 and two against Vanderbilt. So moral of the story, like I think. From a pure CFF perspective, I probably uh, I'm going to use the cliche that I like him more in a best ball, better in best ball. Um, but I do think he's interesting uh, as a CFF option, uh, and I do think there is legitimate day two upside. And I am a lot less um, liberal with that term uh, than somebody else here on this show. I'm not going to name any names. So um, well, I mean, I, there's, I, there's only two of us on the show. So oh, that's my awkward. cat's here. Could be her. Um, uh, Misty, Misty is notoriously high on, uh, anybody with the name juice. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So <laughs> juice Vereen, she's got them all early. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I like, I like Wells and I think I have him right around wide receiver 30 in my rankings for C2C. And I think that feels 
pretty good overall. Yeah, I, I, um, Juice Wells is a guy that I've definitely been coming around on as the offseason has gone on. Um, he's climbed my rankings. He's up to my wide receiver 34 now. Um, the thing with with Wells, for, for a CFF perspective, like you said, is the boom-bust weeks. I mean, he basically goes as Spencer Rattler goes. Um, you said the game, uh, the Arkansas game where Juice Wells went 8 for 189 and 1. Spencer Rattler's threw for 377 yards in that game. Um, and then the game against Tennessee when Juice went 11 for 177. Uh, so that was also the game Spencer Rattler threw for 438 yards. So, uh, and then Clemson 360 yards and he put up 130 yards. So when Spencer Rattler is good, juice Wells is good. When Spencer Rattler is bad, juice Wells, not very good. So it's just, and, and there's really no clear rhyme or reason when Spencer Rattler is going to be good. So that's what scares me about that for well so yes he does fit the cliche better in best ball and i do agree he is getting some legitimate day two buzz i can absolutely see that out of him of course you can um nikely's harbor is the other guy here he's not projected as a starter for right now uh and he wasn't on campus for spring he was still competing in his high school uh track season for anybody not familiar with nikely's harbor he's a 230 pound uh really tight end really probably edge if we're being honest defensively um who is also a very high-end uh track athlete uh although i in my opinion and i think it just based on his size probably not just short of olympic athlete so i think this is a guy that can't really make up his mind on what he wants to do moving forward athletically. I think he really needs to choose one. He seems unwilling to do that. I think it's going to hurt him in the long run in both uh, of his main um, uh, activities. So I, I, I'm out on Harbor uh, from a uh, college football perspective, even with the uh, insane athletic upside. And I am uh, out on him. If you can bet Olympic futures on whatever book you're using, I would, uh, I'd be betting against him to, uh, to make it there. Yeah. I'm pretty out on Nikeley's Harbor uh, altogether. Look, I, I get that he's big and fast, um, but he's lacks all refinement as a receiver. He does not have very good lateral agility. Um, if you told me he was going to play tight end, I would be sort of interested at least. But I agree with you. I think he really needs to pick one football or track. He's kind of got his foot in both worlds, and it's not letting him reach his potential in either one because a guy who is 245 pounds is going to be is going to have a really hard time making the Olympics. It just, it's just going to be really hard despite his like insane speed. If he trimmed down, then maybe it would make a little bit more sense as a wide receiver. If he could get down to like 220 pounds, then maybe, but I still don't see an NFL future for him, a wide receiver. If he makes an NFL roster, it's probably as a tight end or an edge. I'm just completely out on him where he's at right now. Feels like uh, a kind of guy that even if you really like him, you're acknowledging that you're probably going to wait a couple years, and that just doesn't feel great to me. Yeah, just kind of using a roster spot on that. I 
I, I would challenge you to find anybody who thinks that he can step in from day one and be extremely effective for South Carolina. I think that's going to be a stretch for him this year. I agree. I agree. Um, and, and one other thing I just wanted to mention on Juice Wells, um, he actually, he, I know he got injured. Um, he's a little bit banged up right now, but he uh, reportedly is assuring that he's going to be out there for week one. Um, it's a lower body injury. He said, he tweeted, stop asking me if I'm good. I'm great. So he's supposedly healthy for that. If you were worried, a little pushy. Um, Trey Knox at tight end. It uh, he actually got injured, and I, I have not seen confirmation on this, but it sounds like he could be out for the season at tight end. Um, so oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I had not seen that. That's very recent. I believe I saw okay. uh, something about it when we were at the expo this weekend. I I remember seeing it somewhere. So it sounds like mm. it could be Joshua Simon season. Um, who comes over from Western Kentucky, a guy we liked a couple years ago, and for whatever reason, uh, partly the the new offense, and I think partly I believe he got injured that year, um, didn't didn't quite uh, rebound the way we thought he would there. So I think he's a watch list guy for now. I don't know how many mouths this offense can feed, um, but uh, uh, just worth noting the two tight ends that are on the roster there. Tennessee... Uh, next up on the list here, uh, FBS power ranking of 15th in the country and fifth overall in the SEC. Um, last year, probably a year ahead of schedule for Tennessee with with uh, this offense led by Hendon Hooker, um, now gone to the NFL. Uh, Joe Milton replaces him. Joe Milton had some uh, pretty solid games down the stretch last year, quite frankly. Um, a guy that looked completely lost the the last time we had seen him uh in a uh, tennessee jersey and and was really really poor at michigan uh during his three years there i i think it's interesting and i think we talk a lot about how this offense can make any quarterback really look good uh prior to last year he'd never completed more than 56 percent of his passes in a college football season um he uh the his last year at Michigan, four touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, only averaged like seven yards per attempt. Um, last year, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions, and averaged double-digit yards per attempt. So this offense can really, really raise the level of the quarterback by making things really, really simple for them, easier reads, bigger windows to throw into. It's kind of what a guy like Joe Milton needs. I do think there's a non-zero chance that – he uh, reverts, and we see a bad Joe Milton. Um, and I do think that there's also a chance that toward the end of the season, if they're not in a national championship hunt and Milton hasn't been amazing, that you potentially see a little Nico Yamalieva, the true freshman in there. Um, I think there's going to be some pressure to get him on the field early. So um, an interesting quarterback room, I think, my big thing with Nico, who I actually have drafted a lot of this offseason, even though I'm not a huge fan of him from an NFL perspective, is, I mean, we just talked about what this offense can do for a guy like Joe Milton. I think Ian Malieva is a lot more talented than Joe Milton. Um, and so I think at worst, you're probably getting a CFF stud for a couple of years. Yeah, with Nico, I think you're getting three years of being a CFF stud and maybe like a couple of games here at the end of this year. Um because so everybody talks about, you know, Joe Milton had two good games to end the year last year. He didn't. He had one. He had one. He had that Clemson game. The bowl game looked great. 19 of 28, 
251 yards, three touchdowns, completed 67% of his passes. But people are also like, oh, yeah, he looked good against Vanderbilt. He completed 52% of his passes against Vanderbilt for 147 yards. Like that's not that's not good. He went 11 for 21 for 147 yards and a touchdown. Is it bad? It's not as bad as we've seen Joe Milton look before. Sound like you were like, is that bad? Like one of those like rhetorical, like, yeah. It's bad. Oh, <laughs> is that bad? <laughs> Maybe I should have left it like that. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's not like Joe Milton like lit it up the last two games. It was really just the last one, and it was against Clemson, which is a good defense. So like I'm not discounting that at all. But the rest of the year. I mean, he only there were only two games where he threw more than 10 passes, and it was those two games at the end of the year. So you want to talk about his his completion percentage ending the season over 50 percent? He he didn't even throw 100 passes. He threw 82 passes on the year. So I, I'm still not convinced that he doesn't look like crap in a couple of games in the middle of the year. And they just they're just like, let's just turn it over to Nico. Um, if Nico ends up looking good, if he doesn't, I don't think they're going to give it to um, the Grayson Moore or whoever the other guy is that was in spring. Like it, it's Milton or it's Nico, but it really wouldn't surprise me if Nico gets some starts at the end of the year. Cause Milton stinks. Um, the running back room, I think uh, is full of some fine players, but I think outside of the true freshman cam Selden, if we're looking for NFL upside, I think it's, um, it's tough to to locate what this group Jabari Small is the leader of this backfield. And I do think he's a pretty good college running back overall. And if he can stay healthy for a full season, I actually expect a 1,000-yard uh, uh, season out of him. Last year, he ran uh, had 157 carries for 734 yards and 13 touchdowns. People think of this offense as a high volume passing attack, and they they uh, really just run a lot of plays because they actually rush the ball a pretty hefty amount. Um, uh, Jalen Wright got 146 carries last year, and he picked up 875 yards and 10 touchdowns. They also have uh, Dylan Sampson, a little more of an undersized guy who uh, averaged almost seven yards per carry last year and had six touchdowns. Um, it, it's a pretty crowded room. And then you bring in uh, a true freshman Cam Selden, who also, uh, like Roderick Robinson, as we talked about earlier, falls into that enormous uh, running back with uh, high high end uh, athletic traits buckets. And then Khalifa Keith, who's a guy that um, I am personally not interested in at all, um, but uh, has his uh, fans as well. Um, not rosterable in a normal size league. I feel pretty good. Uh, saying that it sounds like he's probably a red shirt uh, for sure. Um, but I, this is a, a pretty dang good backfield overall. If we're talking about like, you know, just like, or is he a good college running back? Yeah. I think you, you point to like basically any back in that backfield and say, yes, that's a good college running back. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think Jabari small is a draftable NFL running back, probably fifth, sixth round somewhere in that ballpark. Like, I mean, at some point, you know, like all these guys are like, yeah, they they could be draftable. Like some of them won't get drafted, you know. Um, but I think he is a draftable player. Jalen Wright, same thing, probably a draftable guy. My big concern is, like you said, that they do run the ball more than people realize. My concern is just they spread it out so much. So there's probably none of her going to be a week where you're super confident starting these guys. And Jabari Small made a couple appearances on our start sit. Um, 
column that we do, uh, mm. or contest that we do. He's made a couple appearances there. So if I'm starting anybody from this backfield, it probably would be Jabari Small, but it's not in too many situations. And then Cam Seldon is is the future of that room there. Um, I think he's another guy that our recruiting team did a fantastic job of and nailed the position. You know, there was some concerns. Is he going to be a wide receiver? Is he going to be a running back? Where is he going to play? We kind of always had him as a running back. When he first got onto campus uh, at Tennessee, which was like before their bowl game, I believe, if I remember right, uh, he was listed as a wide receiver. Um, but they moved him to running back like right away in the spring. So running back with pass catching ability, that big, that fast. It's going to take him a little bit of time because of the high school that he went at was just like terrible competition. But in the spring game, he was working with the twos. They wanted to get him involved early and often. I think the future is bright for Cam Seldon, and he is the future of this running back room. Not really all that interested in Khalifa Keith. Um, the wide receivers here, I think it's very uh, clear what they want to do from a, a wide receiver standpoint. They just want as many fast guys as they can possibly get on the field at one time, and it does leave with it does leave us with some awkward or um, maybe uh, better said, just kind of difficult to project uh, positional battles here where it, a lot of the guys are basically the same player. Uh, and it's probably going to come down to some razor thin margins as to who ends up getting on the field a lot. The guys that we feel pretty good are going to be on the field on day one, presuming they're healthy because they have had some uh, small injury issues here uh, early in this uh, fall camp. Marquarius Squirrel White, uh, the kind of undersized guy who really, really clicked with Joe Milton last year in his last couple of games. Uh, you know, small, really, really fast, can win downfield, kind of reminiscent of Jalen Hyatt. They brought in Dante Thornton from Oregon. And this is a guy that I didn't really like to, at Oregon at all, but uh, it sounds like they really, they really like him. They want to get him on the field, and he could be in the slot for them uh he's like six five two hundred um but really really fast so kind of again fits what they want to do here and then the other names that i think are kind of mix and match on the roster guys like ramel keaton who i don't love for our purposes but but he could be on the field quite a bit for tennessee you've got brew mccoy uh who is odd because he doesn't really fit what they want to do at all but he he is there um nathan leacock and caleb webb are two uh, wide receivers who came in the past two years and I think are uh, basically the Spider-Man pointing meme. Um, and then, I mean, there's some other bodies there that you'll hear mentioned in some of these camp reports, Chaz Nimrod, um, uh, maybe one or two others, but I do think the names to circle uh, if I'm doing, uh, if I'm drafting today are Marquarius White and Dante Thornton. And I think I could be talked into uh, McCoy or Keaton or, or Leacock uh, really as late kind of players. Yeah, I think now that we're seeing these receivers back and healthy and the um, C2A-Days over on the YouTube channel, definitely go check that out. Nikki and Alan breaking down all of the camp news, all the news that you could possibly want. Now that we're seeing these guys back healthy, Squirrel White what, did sound like he was operating as the primary slot option. Now they do run, they spread it out. So there's times where they're running four wide receivers. So that could be Dante Thornton in the, moving into the slot at times too. Um, but I'm still on the squirrel white train. 
Doesn't mean I don't like Dante Thornton. I do. I think he could fit in this offense really well. I think he could be really interesting. But uh, we saw it from Squirrel White last year in that bowl game. He had that connection with um, Joe Milton. I think that gives him a leg up. Maybe he's being a smidge overdrafted at times just because people are hoping for that Jalen Hyatt ceiling. But I do still like White. And then with Brew McCoy, he's he missed like the first practice or two, but then he's been out there pretty much uh, every time. It sounds like he's kind of breaking him down, and he's like a little bit of a leader in that room, which makes sense given how long he's been in college. The, one of the things I do like about Brew McCoy, though, this year is that he, I think, has the clearest role in this offense because one, he offers a different skill set. Like you said, he's a little bit more, he is a little bit more of a possession guy. Um, so when they do need that, I can see them go, you, you know, Brew McCoy will be that guy. And he is the guy that we can project pretty confidently at the X. Like I was just saying, you know, squirrel white Dante Thornton battling a little bit for the slot. Uh, Ramel Keaton sounds like he's the leg up over Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod, Nathan Leacock. But I think all three of those other guys are more talented. So I could definitely see them overtaking him at some point. But you don't really hear it about anybody taking overtaking Brew McCoy. So I think he's locked in as a starter in this offense, which I think is what's appealing. Um, Vanderbilt, the last school here on our list, um, 117th in the FBS power ranking and fourth in the S- or, uh, 14th in the SEC. Um 117th probably feels a little low because it does seem like they're doing a pretty good job of bringing in some interesting, uh, potentially even underrated talent. Um, there uh, uh, was it is it uh, Barton Simmons is their um, uh, like lead recruiting guy, and he is uh, formerly of 24 uh, seven sports. So he kind of, I, I think, has the relationships and kind of the connections and, and the know-how to unearth some hidden gems. Uh, and I, I think they've done a pretty good job of that. They, they actually have some, some intriguing offensive pieces. I don't think AJ Swan is a guy that we care about, but he's not a uh, terrible quarterback, especially for what Vanderbilt wants to do there. I think the real strength of this roster is actually the wide receiver. So I want to start there. Will Shepard and Jaden McGowan are their two uh, main starters uh, guys that have multiple years of eligibility left if they want them. McGowan, a little uh, smaller, kind of more uh, athletic guy overall. Will Shepard is, is very explosive in his own right. Last season, Shepard had 60 catches for 776 yards and nine touchdowns. McGowan had 44 catches for 453 and three. Tough part about this offense and really for the wide receivers is that, uh, well, the nice thing is that you know when you can start them and when you cannot. Um, But the downside is that there are only a handful of games where you can start them and the rest you cannot. So double-edged sword there makes it uh, a little difficult uh, to project. Uh, super big upside. Um, I mean, McGow- Shepard's going to put up those numbers in six games, basically. So if you can live with that, then I think he's a really interesting, like fifth wide receiver on a team for, for what our purposes. Yeah. I, I did think that earlier in the off season, but I listened to uh, the chasing the natty episode where they brought on Eric Froton and he brought up a really good point uh, with Shepard his best matchup is week zero against Hawaii. So you don't actually get those points. So like you can't really start him 
So that's one of his best matchups or his best matchup. And one of the games you can count on starting him that you won't be able to. And then Will Shepard also, I don't remember the exact stat lines. It was a while, a little while ago that I listened to it, but he has like a stupid number of drops. Um, his, his catch rate is, is crazy low. So like, I do think there are, Will Shepard is rosterable. I do think there are times where there is value in knowing the times when you will be able to start him and when you won't. But I am a little bit lower on Shepard now than what I was a little bit earlier in the offseason after hearing uh, Eric Froton talk about him. So I think Jaden McGowan is a guy that I'm getting a little bit more interested in. And Will Shepard's a guy that I'm getting a little less interested in. So it is closing that gap. But, you know, if you make me pick one, it would be Shepard. The running back here that I think is of interest to us is Cedric Alexander, who uh got some buzz as a true freshman in the spring i think we all were thinking that it was trending toward him being the starter uh but that does not sound like it's the case anymore i uh, actually today i believe on c2 a days heard uh nick ian allen discuss that he's probably kind of a a, a backup uh you know guy on the two deep uh more than a starter kind of guy I do think it's difficult, although Ray Davis did it last year, to project the running back on Vanderbilt to be super productive, especially with kind of the game script that they're going to have going on there. So I'm not super interested in Cedric Alexander uh, at current stage, but I do think he's definitely a watch list player uh, for now. Yeah, I agree. I I think that I was... Well, I mean, I don't want to say I. I mean, we were all kind of reading those headlines in the spring and and bumping Alexander up a little bit when maybe we shouldn't have because it does sound like he's probably going to be a backup guy. And I do think he's probably the most talented running back in the room. So I think by season end, he probably will get the starting job. But like you said, Ray Davis did it last year, which, you know, Feather and Ray Davis's cap, just saying. Um but it is really difficult to be fantasy relevant at the running back position at Vanderbilt, given that they have a lot of negative game script. So Cedric Alexander is still a guy that I would roster, um, but I am, I'm just, I'm a little lower on him than I was at the start of the uh, draft season. That's going to do it for tonight's show guys. Um, College football season is uh, less than two weeks away. So we are getting ready here at campus to Canton. Make sure you are subscribing to the YouTube channel, get all of our in season content, specifically the two live shows on Saturday, Saturday morning, the tailgate 10 AM Eastern. Uh, We talk uh, basically preview all the day's games from a fantasy and betting and DFS uh, viewpoint. And then at night we do college fantasy tonight. Uh, which kind of wraps up the shows. We also obviously have tons of, um, you know, start sit content, content breaking down uh, the DFS slates, uh, player prop tools, all sorts of different things. Uh, so head over to Campus to Canton uh, to get all of that information. We will be back next week with the SEC Weast. Until next time, guys, I am Austin. And this is Colin. And have a good one.